Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Labs, this week in the NFL offseason, it's the owners meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. And my favorite part of the owners meeting every year is how they make all the head coaches who are there line up for a school yearbook type photo. <laughs> it's a pretty rough looking group of gentlemen, the uh, head coaches in the NFL, if I do, may, if I may <laughs> say so myself. Well, you know, um, they they may try and make them line up for that photo, but, uh, you know, sometimes it can be like uh, prover- the proverbial herding cats. Um, the only reason I look at it, um, just to see some of the interesting uh, fashion statements that some <laughs> of these coaches uh, choose um, and which ones, like I believe in this this particular edition, um, most of the coaches were dressed, you'd call it maybe business casual, right. um, but Andy Reid had the shorts on and the flip-flops, I think. Naturally, uh, that is his business casual. And the other one that's always, uh, is whether Belichick shows up, because, you know, making him do anything is, <laughs> um, I don't even know if Robert Kraft can make Belichick do anything, but uh, and he showed up for the photo. I know it's rare which, when he shows up for one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what I wish one of the coaches would do is, you know, try and get all the other ones to sign it. You know, his. Ooh. You know, you think you think everybody would sign? I know one person that won't. We were just talking about. Him. <laughs> I will say, well, you know, this they too. do the GM. They do the GMs, too. They do the GM group. See, that one's not as popular. No one really – that doesn't float around the internet as much as the coach's picture does. But, um, yeah, Omar was in it. I mean, you know, and it's it, it was easy to pick out Omar because, you know, the photos, um, you know, it's a big group. Right. And they take it some, from so far away. And then, you know, it's on social media. And, you know, your reproduction isn't necessarily that good. And I'm sure there's a way, but I'm not familiar how to enlarge it, you know, and, and keep the, um, the the resolution, you know, as good that you can pick Enhance up. Enhance the photo, uh, fa- yes. Yeah, okay. But um, Omar was easy to pick out, shaved head, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And, um, you know, Mike Tomlin is easy to pick out simply because there aren't that many black uh, head coaches. And I think because he was um, clearly the best dressed of all of them. I mean, if you want well, to, and actual the, business casual was what Coach T was wearing. <laughs> well, and the other thing, and that's a, it's a Mike Tomlin trademark that I've come to 
the sunglasses tucked in the front. Yes. And there was only one person in the coach's photo with sunglasses tucked in the front. And, you know, I, I looked at it closely, and that was my Tom. So there you go. Let's get to our questions for today. Our first one, of course, a quarterback-related question, comes from Tom McCormick from Finley, Ohio, and he asks – You know, wait a minute. Oh, 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 oh. You, know, you know what Finley, Ohio is? I don't. Ugh. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger's hometown. Okay, I'm going to edit that part out of the podcast. You shouldn't have trapped me like that. That was rude of you to do that to me. Let's get to the question from Tom. Of course – Writing in from Ben Roethlisberger's hometown of Finley, Ohio. <laughs> Assuming Mason Rudolph moves on from the Steelers as an unrestricted free agent, what would your expectations be for where the number three quarterback comes from? Draft, undrafted rookie, or veteran free agent? Um, okay, let me start with this. The Steelers have two quarterbacks under contract at this point. Uh, Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. And at different points this offseason, Art Rooney II, uh, Omar Khan, and Mike Tomlin all have said that they want Mitch Trubisky back and expect him to be back. So all of that um, misinformation that was floating around <clears throat> during the latter part of last season about you know the Steelers were going to uh, cut him because he was disenchanted and the way he was treated, he was honked off about the competition – you know, that that's, that's, has shown to be, um, you know, untrue. So there's the two. Uh, I don't see any reason, any, any way that Mason Rudolph comes back. I just don't. Uh, so, okay, so the Steelers are going to end up with three quarterbacks on their 53-man roster at the end of August, early September, whenever that cut goes down. And so to get there to that number of three, by early September, I believe they're going to bring four to training camp on the 90-man roster when camp opens in late July. So, you know, they have to add two to get the four so that they can then cut down to three. Right. Um, okay, so let's, you know, uh, a lot of questions like to use, how is it likely or, you know, that kind of thing. So let's use the likelihood uh, scale uh, on this question. Um, I would list of those three, draft, undrafted rookie, or veteran free agent, I would list draft as the most unlikely way to add quarterbacks to the current group because there just aren't enough picks. The Steelers do not have enough picks. And even, you know, spending it like they did last year, their last pick of the draft, second pick of the seventh round on a quarterback, um, uh, I would not be in favor of that, and I don't know that they are willing to do that again. Because as I said, they only have seven picks in this draft. Two of them are in the seventh round. You look at all the needs slash wants, um, you know, I just, because it's not like you're looking for somebody who you're you're planning on having to play right. this season. Okay. It would so be disastrous draft, if this guy comes into play. Right, yeah. If you're a, your third quarterback, I mean, there are bad things happening, man, bad things. So, um, okay, so that would be the least likely. Um, an undrafted rookie or maybe a tryout player uh, following rookie minicamp is a likely way, in my opinion, to find one or both of the two candidates. Um, 
you know, it's going to depend on how the draft unfolds, who ends up getting picked, what's left in terms of the undrafted rookie pool. And, you know, is a guy going to view coming to Pittsburgh as a good opportunity for himself, given the fact, as I just mentioned, the roster already contains Pickett and Trubisky. But still, the Steelers are a three-quarterback team, so uh, there, there could be some uh, movement there in the undrafted rookie tryout kind of situation. Um, then the other uh, uh, category, veteran free agent. Now, you know, who knows uh, when, when everything shakes out, you get to mid-May after the draft um, and after um, undrafted rookies are signed, I'm sure there's still going to be some veterans oh, yeah. out there without a, without a spot. There's you know? always and, Joe and Flacco now, out there, Labs. He's always there. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Haven't we suffered enough to quote the great <laughs> Beano Cook? Um, but, uh, you know, so then you maybe could add something there as well. But it's going to be, uh, in terms of salary, bar- uh, bargain basement stuff. Uh, there's not going to be any additions to the top two uh, in terms of veteran free agents who are guys who are going to want more than, you know, the veteran minimum, whatever that might be. And, you know, the we've talked about this on previous podcasts before. There is that uh, provision in this collective bargaining agreement where a team can sign a, uh, a veteran free agent to a one-year contract. Now, while the player gets the veteran minimum that is uh, con- uh, corresponds to his years of service in the league, the cap charge to the team is a lot less. Right. So if the Steelers do try that veteran free agent uh, uh, avenue, that's the kind of thing I think it would be. A one-year deal for a guy that they can – uh, you can pay him, but then you'll get charged for the full amount because of that. Uh... Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Uh, part of the CBA that allows for, you know, kind of encouraging teams to add veteran free agents. Scott Randall from Conway, South Carolina asks, In looking at the draft picks the team has this year, I know people want that amazing wide receiver. But what I want is maybe that non-sexy pick, like maybe a giant guard or an offensive tackle or a much-needed cornerback or edge rusher. What pick of ours do you think is the best to look for that offensive lineman and or cornerback? Um, okay. Uh, when the Steelers draft, they're, when their turn comes up, they're looking for the best player available. And by available, I mean, you know, based on the, the ranking of the players on their draft board. Now, see, one thing that people should understand, too, the arrangement of the draft board is done in a way where, um, as Dan Rooney explained it to me once, 
let's let's pretend we're going back to the era when Ben Roethlisberger was in his prime and the Steelers were going to draft. Now, when you arrange the draft board for the Steelers in that situation, you don't have any first-round grades on quarterbacks because you're not going to pick them. Right. You're just not. So um, you don't put them there. And that's some of the arrangement of the draft board. You know, there's the evaluation of the picks or the prospects, the grading of them, and then, you know, um, a lot has been made, and, you know, I think that it's it's um, valid. Andy Weidel arranges the draft board. Well, when Andy Weidel arranges the draft board, it's going to be done in conjunction with how the the coaches uh, and the other personnel people, Omar Khan, Mike Tomlin, you know, everybody's involved in this kind of. Um, and they're going to put players um, in, in spots where – they are they would they they could possibly fill a need okay you, you're gonna have guys um at inside linebacker and i'm just trying to and i'm going through these uh, this isn't etched in stone i'm just trying to uh you know spitball this a little right. bit okay so um cornerback uh edge uh edge rusher outside linebacker uh, I don't think guards anymore are in the mix to be drafted only because of what has happened in free agency, right. offensive tackle, um, you know, those those kinds of things. Okay. So if if you come to a situation now where the arrangement of the draft board, your 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 uh turn is coming up, your if you have two players uh of quote unquote positions of need are in close proximity on the board. One of the other factors that I believe is worth considering is where those players rank overall among the other prospects at their positions. I'm going to give you, to give you some examples of what I mean. 2012, Steelers picked 24th. They picked David DeCastro. Okay? They picked him. He was the number one draft uh, prospect at guard that year. Okay, so they were getting the number one guard, and that was a factor, I believe, in, in them deciding on him. Same thing with Najee Harris. When the Steelers um, picked him, they had him graded as the number one running back prospect 2021. I believe the same thing to be the case last year. Pickett was their number one quarterback uh, on their board, and so they picked him too. So, you know, if... If a team, if the Steelers come up to a situation for a pick, and their choices are, and again, I'm just picking these positions off the top of my head, a tackle, who is the fourth best tackle on their board, or a cornerback, who's the best cornerback on their board, who do you pick? I think you pick the guy who's the best player at the position of all the prospects that you've evaluated. Because that, to me, would represent the best value at that particular pick. So that's how I would look at it. Phil Edinger from Apex, North Carolina. With the recent election of Joe Klecko to the NFL Hall of Fame, I was wondering how his career stats stack up against those of L.C. Greenwood. Okay, let me say this right from the start. Um, L.C. Greenwood was a much better player, more impactful player 
in my opinion, than Joe Klecko. And if you only have one of those guys in the Hall of Fame, it should have been Greenwood. It should be Greenwood. Yep. But that's not how it works. And Klecko was elected. And let me just throw this in there as a little uh, commentary. I believe that Klecko over Greenwood uh, in the Hall of Fame is a pretty uh, clear example of Steelers fatigue among the voters. We've discussed what that means before. I think that that's a pretty, uh, if you're looking for the uh, poster of what that means, this is it. But anyway, to the question. They're two different players. You know, Elsie Greenwood was a pass rushing end and a 4-3. Klecko played one year as a defensive end, but the bulk of his career and the production that he had within the career he was an interior defensive lineman, either as a 4-3 tackle and then as a 3-4 nose tackle. So they're different kind of players, but here's again, here's the stats. Klecko played in 155 regular season games. 145 of those were starts. Finished with 78 sacks. He had one more in five playoff games. Uh, he was voted first team All-Pro twice. Greenwood played in 170 games. 135 of those starts. Now, the, 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 the players played, in, they played in different eras. So um, Greenwood's sack stats are more uh, compiled, you know, through film study and stuff, as opposed to Klecko's, which a lot were compiled during uh, the era when the NFL officially began recognizing sacks as a statistic. However, uh, the Steelers have Greenwood with 73 and a half sacks, 12 and a half more in 18 playoff games. Um, Greenwood also was voted first team all pro twice. He made the Pro Bowl six times. Klecko made the Pro Bowl four times. So not only am I telling you that in my opinion, Greenwood was the better player, I also believe his statistics bear that out. Dan Melker from San Diego, California. Growing up, I was always a fan of Benny Cunningham. Can you shed some light on his career and where you rank him among Steeler tight ends? Okay, Benny Cunningham was a number one pick in 1976, 28th overall. He was from Clemson. He played 10 seasons with the Steelers, 118 games, 80 starts, 202 catches for 2,879 yards and 20 touchdowns. Um, Cunningham also played in 10 playoff games, eight starts, had 19 catches for 219 yards in those, two more touchdowns. Mm. Now, you know, obviously Cunningham's receiving statistics are, are minuscule compared to what we've come to accept from tight ends now. But, um, you know, he played with uh, on the same offense as two Hall of Fame wide receivers. And, you know, in, in that era, the late 70s, early 80s, teams didn't throw the ball like they're throwing now. Right. And, you know, if you had two Hall of Fame wide receivers, uh, you know, the, the tight end was just not much of a factor. I mean, you had Franco Harris, too, who was uh, a factor in the uh, passing game as well. So, um, you know, Benny Cunningham, his statistics don't look like much, but I don't know that he had a whole lot of opportunity to have gaudy statistics. Um, ranking them among tight ends, Heath Miller is first, LB Nichol is second, uh, Benning Cunningham is right after those two. 
one quick side note. Uh, Benny Cunningham was a large person. And one time he showed up at training camp at a weight that Chuck Knoll believed to be too large. <laughs> so Knoll said to him, if you don't lose weight, I'm going to move. You're, you're getting so big, I'm going to move you to tackle. Now, that was also something that Noel had done um, right around the same time with Larry Brown. Right. And that worked out pretty well. But uh, Benny wasn't interested in offensive <laughs> line, I don't think. So he got his weight to a spot that Chuck was more comfortable with it and um, ended his career as a tight end. Raul Ricardo from Los Angeles, California. How do the Steelers pass rushers from the Steel Curtain era compare to our pass rushers today? Would you consider James Harrison and T.J. Watt on the same level as Jack Ham and Jack Lambert? Okay, Steel Curtain era uh, was a it was a four three defense, uh, and the Steel Curtain era was the you know the seventies. So um, now the Steelers play a three four. Even uh, so, comparing. Harrison and T.J. Watt as outside linebackers, edge players, uh, the same as Ham, Ham and Lambert. Lambert was a middle linebacker beside. It's just apples and oranges. Um, you know, the Steelers of the Steel Curtain era, they rarely blitzed. Um, here's some statistical examples. The Steelers had 40 sacks in 1972. Only five came from non-defensive linemen. Uh, 1973, only four of the 33 sacks came from non-defensive linemen. In 1974, 52 sacks, only nine came from non-defensive linemen. So you can see that the Steel Curtain era, the Steelers played, I guess for lack of a better phrase, vanilla defense in that the, the pass rush was from the defensive line and the linebackers were used in coverage or in run support. So, um, during the 14, okay, between 1972 and 1975, there were four 14 game regular seasons. Jack Ham's stats were uh, negligible, but he had 16 interceptions. So, you know, Harrison and Watt were all pros because they had, they were double digit sack guys while playing edge rushers in a three four base. Comparing them to Ham and Lambert in terms of their uh, terrorizing opposing quarterbacks um, did it in different <laughs> ways. Yes. Really, did it in different ways. Jim Howe from Defusky Island, South Carolina. When Antonio Brown went from the Steelers to the Raiders, I believe that we received a draft pick in return. Who did that pick turn out to be? Uh, actually, in the 2019 trade that sent Antonio Brown to the Raiders, the Steelers received two draft picks, a third rounder and a fifth rounder in that year's draft. The number three pick was used to pick Deontay Johnson. The number five pick was used to select Zach Gentry. Both of which who will still be on the team in 2023, so not yes, bad return and, on those picks. And, you know, the, um, the pick that the Steelers acquired from the Jets for Santonio San Holmes Kevin Colbert packaged that a couple of different ways, and they ended up with the pick that they used, you know, in, in addition to other things, but they ended up with the pick that they used to get Antonio Brown. So it's good when GMing it comes to right trading, there. Colbert really yeah, knew how to right. do that, huh? 
Yeah, from that guy who, you know, all he's remembered for now is picking Artie Burns and Jarvis Jones. <laughs> Jim Fox from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I remember the Steelers were in what was the NFL before the merger with the AFL, but I can't remember why the Steelers and Browns were moved to the AFC once the NFL-AFL merger was completed. Can you refresh my memory? Okay, the final season of the NFL and AFL competing as separate leagues was in 1969. And at that time, there were 16 teams in the NFL and 10 in the AFL. So when they merged... There was 26 teams would play in the combined NFL in 1970. So they had to even up the numbers for the two conferences. So you had to take three quote-unquote NFL teams and add them to the 10 AFL teams to form the conference that would then become known as the AFC. And then the other quote-unquote NFL teams stayed together and formed the NFC. So the Steelers, Browns, and Colts were the teams that moved from the old NFL to the new AFC. And, you know, the, the, there, was a little, there was some financial uh, incentive to do that. Uh, and the Steelers also believed that, you know, with the new stadium, they had a new coach, kind of. You know, Noel was in his second year. They saw it as a new era. Uh, and once uh, Art Rooney Sr. made it clear that the Steelers were not moving unless the Browns came with them because they wanted to preserve that rivalry, which then was a real rivalry. Well, actually, <laughs> then it was more of a rivalry in name only like it has been <laughs> since 1999. Only the Browns had yeah, the foot, just uh, their foot on the Steelers' throat at that time. But anyway, that's how that happened. Reed Overand from Uniontown, Pennsylvania asks, has an NFL team ever won the Super Bowl and then picked number one overall in the following draft by way of a trade? No. That's never happened. And our final question today comes from Victor Verena from Akron, Ohio, and he wants to know, one of my favorite Steelers players growing up was Frenchie Fuqua. Have there been any other French players who played for the Steelers? Um, okay, uh, Victor. Uh, Frenchy Fuqua, his, his given name was John. Uh, he was born and raised in Detroit, which is about 4,000 miles as the crow flies from France. Uh, it was uh, Fuqua himself who gave him the, himself the nickname the French Count. Uh, and then that let, let leave, that later was shortened to Frenchie. Uh, John Fuqua was a character in a good way, I mean, and uh, colorful uh, in a lot of ways. Goldfish in the heels of his shoes and et cetera. But, yeah, he kind of named himself the French Count. <laughs> so um, he, he doesn't qualify as a guy from France. Frenchie Fuqua. Not actually French. Just stick that in the back of your head right. for a rainy day down the road. That'll do it for today's edition of Asked and Answered. We always appreciate you guys giving us a listen. You can get your questions into labs now, and maybe you will hear them read on a future edition. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opferman, and we'll talk to you next week on Asked and Answered. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. 
Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 